Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. But today, we, uh, our message uh, is continuing the Undivided series. You remember back on July 1st, I kicked this off on July 1st, which was our Patriotic Sunday. We talked about one nation under God. Then we began to unravel that and realize, you know what, it's, is that really accurate? Now, that's our hope. That's our dream. But I think we all would agree that America is more divided. There's more partisanship, more polarization than ever before. And it's, even though it's always been problems, and every nation has it, so it's not just America, but America seems to be on a rapid increase in uh, the number of people that are divided and, and uh, flustered, uh, the different num- the types of things that they're upset about, you know, any number of dozens of things that somebody could really get divided over, and then the intensity of the uh, uh, trollity and the anger and, the, and the, the, the talk that's going on, it's sort of like America is constantly in a state of road rage. Um, and I think we all realize that we need to have some climate change issues. And so today's message is on climate change. Now, before you start waving your Sierra Club flags or anything like that, I'm talking about spiritual climate change. Uh, It would be nice to have some climate change, cooler weather coming in here uh, for that. But uh, climate, the physical climate has been changing since day one. uh, But I can't can't fix that. But we can fix the spiritual climate. So today I'm hoping that we will be willing to make the necessary changes to obtain the optimum spiritual climate here at First Baptist Broussard. Now... Generally, I think we have a pretty good fellowship here. We really do. There's most, most of us here, I think, feel comfortable and loved, and there's an openness and a warmth and a, a harmony and unity. And I think it's, we're good at that. But I want us to be great. I want us to move to a new level of openness and welcomingness and understanding, and so that there is definitely a unity and a harmony in what we do. So the spiritual climate that we want to focus and foister is one of harmony, one of unity, which is based on our oneness in Christ. So this idea of harmony and unity and welcome, it's, it's those of us that are here right now, but it's also those who, we, may, we have a few visitors here today, but when the vis, more visitors come at different times or when different people come here for the first time, we want them to feel super welcome, uh, a Christian hospitality in a sense, where they feel not only just greeted, but that they actually, time is spent with them. You, you bring them in, you help them come on in clearly here, find a seat, maybe sit with them. You know, bring them to the information table, invite them out to eat, invite them to a Sunday school class. Now again, we don't want to hover too much on them, but if, we, if, if, if someone is not meeting the needs, we need to be opening. We need to be welcoming. And so that's what our goal is, is to be a welcoming church. Now, 
Many of you will recognize the cover of that. That's actually the cover of a book called Becoming a Welcoming Church from one of our Southern Baptist leaders. Many of our vision team and deacons and, and welcome team has read this. And we've got some more copies. So if the rest of you, I'd love to have you read it, just kind of cycle it through, read it, bring it back, and we can keep it going. Uh, we've got about eight or ten of them. So, uh, but it just kind of helps see the church as a whole. Because once you come to, you've been in church for a while, you kind of just get comfortable. And everything is like you like it, and you kind of want to keep it that way. But that's only focusing on ourselves. Now, we want to make sure that we're pleased as well. But we need to see how is it that we can change the climate of our church emotionally, spiritually, morally, but also the physical changes like we had the work day yesterday. You know, we're going to be trying to do some new things in the atrium and outside, new signs, things that will kind of set the climate that this is a church that's open for business, that cares about you so that you know where to park, where, where, where the visitors go. We know that already. And we think, well, everybody knows that. Well, no, everybody doesn't know that. So this idea of this openness, this welcoming nature is imp imperative for us if we're going to be all that God wants us to be. Because Romans 15, 5 and 7 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So welcoming is part of our Christian calling. And to not only welcome those of us that make us feel comfortable, because it's in some ways it's almost like a family reunion every Sunday, but we need to keep adding to the family. And they need to feel welcome. That's not like it's a club that you have to know the right clothes to wear, the right words to say, or the right seat to sit in. We've got to have an openness and a love and welcome one another the way Christ welcomes us and that attitude. So, this welcoming church is composed of people who have an authentic and genuine life-changing faith. And faith is a valuable aspect of that. And the description in Colossians chapter 3, the next slide you see here, is sort of a description of what a welcoming church is. And its authentic members kind of look like. Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you are also to forgive. Also, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Now this is a good litany, and we could, we could preach a whole sermon on that one. I'm, I'm not. But this, the idea here is this sort of gives us a snapshot of what authentic, genuine followers look like and the welcoming church, the open church, the caring church that develops from that. Because the church is you. And me. It's not this building. And we need to have that openness that we want to include more and more people into this. And to have a positive outreaching uh, that when people come in. It's sort of like the story I uh, heard about Thomas Jefferson when he was president. 
he was going from one from Washington D.C. to another post for some meeting. Of course, they were on horseback in those days, and so they came up to a river, and unfortunately, the the rains had flooded out, and the bridge had washed away. So they were going to have to ford across that river on the horseback, and it was rather brisk. So some other people, but as they kind of stopped and waited, some other travelers came up and came to the water's edge and looked over there and began to look at them because they were, they, were, they were walking. And a few of the men started making their way across, and they made it. So Thomas Jefferson was fixing to go in, and he felt someone tug on the, on the range and said, excuse me, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to go across myself. Would, could, I, could I ride with you across? Would you forward me across? He said, sure. So he picked him up and brought him up, and they made away. And as soon as he dropped off on the other side, the other guys, I guess maybe they had a, they were concerned about some things. They asked the young man, says, why did you choose the president to ride across? And the man's eyes got big and said, what? He's the president. I didn't know it. I'm sorry. I just looked at everybody's faces, and most all of them had no written on it. But he had a yes written on his face. You see, we need to have yes written on our faces when we meet people here at church, out in the community, so that people say that we are open, we're welcoming, we care about you, you are important, and that's whether you're young, middle-aged, or older, what color you are, what way you dress, whatever you may have on or not. We are to have a a yes face, a, a caring face. And this little saying here, let's read it together. The church should be a place where everybody is somebody and Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that's the concept we hear, that everybody is somebody, everybody is valuable. It doesn't matter what your background or what your appearance looks like. Now, James chapter 2, you'll see the reference there. If you want to take your Bibles, I don't have the scripture on the screen, so you'll either take, need to look at your scriptures or in your insert, the blue insert has it at the top. By the way, on the back is the men's ministry steak dinner. So guys, you need to be picked up your tickets and invite some people to come with you, some other men. That would be a great outreach. Make them feel welcome. Nothing better than a steak to make you feel welcome uh, uh, on that. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, James is one of the early leaders of the church, was part of Jesus' extended family. Now, exactly how he was related, some things, a half or stepbrother, but he was, he was related to Jesus there and was one of the early leaders of the church. This is not the John and James, the disciples. You know, they're two brothers, James and John. That's not that James. It's, it's another James. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For example, a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and you said, yet you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here at my foot as a footstool, haven't you discriminated among yourselves to become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? 
Don't they blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you at your baptism? Indeed, if you keep the royal law prescribed in the scripture, which is, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the entire law yet fails at one point is guilty of breaking it all. James is very strong in his wording. He has, he's very, uh, he, he doesn't beat around the bush. He gets right to it, and he has some great stories. And in this, we can learn some things about how a welcoming church should not be. Okay, We learn from the negative of this, what we should not do. And we can look and gain some positives from that. So let's look at the, the number one thing is, there is a prohibition of prejudice. Now, every single person who's ever lived has been prejudiced about something. It basically just means that you are prejudging something based upon their appearance, their out, the, where they're coming from, what they dress like, the color of the skin, or tattoos or not, or hair color or whatever. But you're prejudging them. You're setting up a, a, a mob. Now, in one sense, it's sort of a natural thing. If you're walking into a room or walking somewhere and you see someone coming, well, you kind of size them up a little bit to see if they're a threat or not. Or whether, you know, you know does that person, you know, that's sort of a human nature protection element. But as Christians, we can allow the Holy Spirit to give us guidance and direction about a warning about people, but we should not be prejudging people based upon our parameters of whether you dress a certain way, whether you have the color skin or whether the right color hair or the right clothes or you speak the same way or you have the right color sports team jersey on or not. You know, we have to be careful about that because, you see, the scriptures clearly says, do not show favoritism. A lot of times in the work world and in the friendship world and the network that we do in the business world, you kind of play favorites. You know, if you, if you are a better customer or if you have a little bit more money or if you do this or that, you sort of kind of get the better part of the, the state rather than the fat part. You get the good part of it. You know, so we have to be careful that we don't play favorites because... Well, I like you, but I don't like you. So uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm going to treat you nice, but you, I'm just going to hold the side. You see, 1 Samuel 16, 7, even the Old Testament mentions this. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the what? The heart. You need to look at the heart of people, not the outward appearance of a person. So the story, most of you know this story, you probably read it to your children, grandchildren, or you may remember reading it as a child, about the uh, prince turned into a frog. You know, the wicked witch put a curse on this prince and uh, turned him into a frog, and only a beautiful princess kissing him would bring him. Now, just in case you're wondering, uh, it's not normal for women to kiss frogs, I don't think. You know, now, I'm not a woman, but you, maybe, maybe that's, that's not a normal thing to do. And I don't want you to take this story literally true. You know, we, we, we don't need to be kissing frogs, you know, in that reality. But this, frog, this prince was on his lily pad, croaking away, pining away, looking for, hoping that someone would see past his exterior and see his heart. And one day, a, a beautiful princess walked by. 
Now, what the reason is, the story doesn't tell. Whether she had drank something or smoked something, I don't know, and she was a little confused. But she picked up that frog, smacked that frog, and what happened? Poof! Turned into a handsome prince. Now, girls, don't go out grabbing frogs. I don't think that still works anymore. But uh, that, that, and they lived happily ever after it worked out. But you see, the, the moral of that story is, as Christians... We need to uh, get into the practice of kissing frogs, metaphorically speaking. There's a lot of people in this world that are just damaged. They don't look or act or maybe it's emotional. It could be economic. It could be any number of things that causes them to feel like they're not being appreciated for who they really are. We need to quit judging people and let the, uh, look at the heart of people. Because that's where we are the same. Remember that first Sunday, uh, the, the song I used, it was the Mandisa song, We All Bleed the Same. You know, when, when, no matter what color or what grace or color, you know, when you cut, you bleed, bleed the same. We're the same inside. So if we have that understanding that we're all created equal in the eyes of God, equally loved and equally valuable, every person, even somebody that looks totally different than what you may look like. You know, long, straggly hair and black clothes and chains and tattoos and, and, and things. I had somebody come in last week for some counseling. They had the big old rings. In. I mean, I'm talking about like, like mule rings in their mouth. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe think about the old rings you put mules mouth to keep them from chewing on that. But, you know, that's, that's, we can't judge on that. You know, my personal preference is not to do that. If you ever see me with tattoos and a earring, you need to knock me upside the head or something. But, but, but that's okay for others. I don't have a problem with that. You know, and we're different. But we don't judge on that. We don't judge on the color of hair. Anthony's got normal hair today. But, you know, his, his hair often goes different. He's, he's, he's trying to be nice today and go normal. But, you know, it's okay. We don't need to be prejudiced. And because, remember, read it with me. The church should be a place where everybody is somebody and Jesus Christ is Lord. If Jesus Christ is Lord of me, then he's Lord of that person that looks and smells totally different and acts different. Jesus Christ is still Lord. And we have to focus on that. Okay, now, the prohibition of prejudice is because with prejudice, you begin to show partiality. God says clearly, do not play favorites. Everyone is equally loved and cared for and should be treated with equal respect. The problem with partiality is, is that we have a tendency to judge people according to their appearance, which then causes us to have an attitude, which then causes us to have an appraisal of somebody that may or may not be very positive or true. In this story, it's a story of a man named Goldfinger. You ever remember the movie way back, Goldfinger? Uh, it's, it's not that one. But uh, this man, he actually, the Greek word literally means gold-fingered man. So whether he actually had gold rings on it or had covered it somehow with gold or it was just a metaphor saying, man, this guy's loaded you know, he's, got, he's rich. Well, he walked in. 
to an unwelcoming church. Remember, we're, we're trying to be a welcoming church, but this unwelcoming church, uh, in a sense, plays partiality because they play favorites on who they welcome. They welcome this guy and say, oh, come on up here. You sit right here. Sit in a fine place next to the offering plate. But sit right here. And then came behind him a guy kind of dressed ragged. Now, it says dirty clothes, but it could just mean that it, just, it was just low-class poor. You could tell he was poor. And so he came in, and the, the usher said, yeah, talking to the, Mr. Goldfriend. Mr. Goldfriend goes, oh, oh you, yeah, you sit over there. Yeah, Mr. Goldfriend, we're so glad. Yeah, just, just sit on the floor, okay? And, 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 they, and we kept going on. You see, that is not a welcoming church. That is not authentic and genuine people of faith. The person who is rich is equally valuable, important, and worthy of love and respect. But so is this poor, ragged fellow. There is no difference. The difference is the one we created in our system of evaluating people. We need to get back to the Bible, to God's plan, and doing that. Wednesday night, those of you on Wednesday night, by the way, we, you know, we do have Wednesday night. You're welcome to come. 6.30, we have a prayer time, about 30 minutes, and then we have a little discussion and share time, about 30 minutes. I mentioned this story, and I told you I was going to tell it again. But uh, it was about Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi uh, was, you know, most everybody remembers Gandhi. Uh, you may have saw the movie, which lasted forever. But, you know, it was about... You know, this great theologian and philosopher and moralist, he had done a lot of study. He decided, you know, he was really searching. He studied all the different major religions. And after reading the New Testament, he came to the conclusion in his writings, he wrote this down. He says, I feel like Christianity in the Bible has the best plan. I'm going to investigate this. So he came to a church, probably that same church that Mr. Goldfinger and the poor man went to. But he walked in. And of course, you know, in India, they have caste system. Well, Mahatma Gandhi was down here, and this church was up here. Now, this was a Christian church. Walked in, and these are from the words of Mahatma Gandhi himself in some of his writings. He said, as soon as I walked in, the, one of the ushers came up and said, whoa, 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 you don't belong here. Your church is down the street. Mahatma Gandhi turned his back on that church and on Christ and never looked back. How many people may have been turned away from Christ because of your attitude. Now, I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that. I just want you to think about that. And maybe it will help you and me be more careful about how we respond to other people. We can still hold them accountable. We can still say, hey, you know, do this or do that or whatever. But if you're not speaking the truth in love, you need to zip it because it's, it's causing pain. I've said this dozens of times over the last 11 years I've been here. The reason why many people aren't Christians is because they've never really seen a, a, a true one. The other reason why they're not Christians is because they know a Christian who is not authentic, not genuine, and their attitude is no better than the world. Why would they want something like that? You and I are to be reflections, authentic, genuine reflections of the welcoming, loving nature of Christ for all. And no matter what way we look or how we act, we need to be understanding because it comes down to 
Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is Lord, everybody is somebody, right? I was reading this story, uh, it was a Holocaust story. Uh, a little Jewish boy and his family in Germany, and uh, they had gotten rounded up and put into a concentration camp. Well, unfortunately, their day came for their cell to be exterminated. So they were standing right here in front of a shallow pit, not by two or three feet, what hardly, they didn't want to go too much trouble with it. The German soldiers stepped up there and started machine gunning them down. Well, somehow or another, this little boy must have turned or something, and it just grazed his head and kind of knocked him out just a little bit. So they all piled the bodies in there and only threw two or three inches of dirt. They didn't want to, it wasn't even worth the time and the effort. But somehow or another, the, the dirt had not covered up the little boy's face completely, and he was able to survive, and he kind of woke up, and he began to think what's going on, and then he realized what had happened. And he still heard the soldiers, and it was still daylight. So he just waited patiently. But as soon as night fell, and the voice is quiet, he kind of pushed his way out of the dirt. He stood up and realized he had not been shot. He, he felt the, the head, but it was, you know, it had splattered him with blood, but it wasn't any serious. So he started taking off. Of course, they had barbed wire fences all around, and he scratched his way through there and started trying to run to some of the neighborhood houses. Now, they were all Christian homes because all the Jews were already in the camp. So the little boy started knocking one door after another. And they'd open the door and see this dirty little Jewish boy and shut the door. Wouldn't have anything to do with it. He went door after door after door. And finally, he just was so upset, he just looked up as he had been raised in the Jewish faith and the synagogue and knew about God. And he said, God, help me. What does is, what is I need to do? Now, exactly whatever happened, I don't know, but the little boy kept the impression, uh, more than likely from God, about a story that had been told to him by some of his Christian friends, boys, uh, before the war, before there was all this trouble. They had talked about Jew Jesus, and they kept mentioning that he was a Jew, and that, they, that these Christian boys said, we love him, we serve him, and we do anything for Jesus. The little boy started thinking, so he walked up to the next house, he knocked on the door, the door opened up, the little boy says, don't you recognize me? <coughs> he looked left and he saw this dirty Jewish boy, and right before he got to close, he says, I'm the Jesus that you say you love so much. So the door closed, and the little boy's heart sank. The next thing you know, it opened back up, and these arms reached out, grabbed him, and pulled him in, cleaned him up, and they took care of from that day forward. You see, as Christians, we need to see the Jesus in everybody out there. We need to treat everybody. Remember the scripture says, you give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus and you give it to Jesus. Jesus said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the disciples said, Jesus, we've known you. You've never been naked or hungry or in a prison. He said, but if you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. So as Christians, if we're going to be authentic, genuine followers of Christ, if this church is going to be a welcoming, loving church, then we need to be having, have a yes face. We need to perch up and kiss the frogs. And we need to be willing to take in anybody that we need to and love them as Jesus. Amen? All right. Let's read it together. The church should be a place where everybody is somebody and Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the last point here. 
I got all P's. Now, I'm not going to take credit for these. I just happened to come across Adrian Rogers loves to do all these things. So I saw his outline, and I said, well, I'm going to steal that. So this, that's his outline, but uh, all, the rest of it's mine. But the precepts for proper practice. And what it is, the, the uh, cure for prejudice and partiality is proper practice of the precepts of God, doing what the Bible says. If we want to counteract partiality, we want to counteract prejudice, then we need to practice what the Bible teaches. Now, I, I went back a chapter. We looked in James chapter 2. But go back a chapter, James 1, and this is a verse you're probably familiar with. But James is talking about this the whole way through. He's talking about it the whole way through. He said, James 1, 2, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Anybody can talk a big game. Words are cheap. If you don't put them into practice, they really are meaningless. Wouldn't you agree? Yesterday, I, I made a joke with Miss Eula. She was over there cleaning in the, uh, in the kitchen. And uh, she said she needed some help on something. I said, be warmed and be filled and the Lord bless you. Then I walked out. Well, I came back and said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just joking yet, but I didn't help. But anyway, uh, but she was doing fine. But that's, that don't work. It didn't help her a bit for me to say, hey, good a great job. Uh, bless you. I, I, I'm heading over here to eat my, my donuts or my cookies. But we've got to be caring. We've got to be loving. Now, let's go back and pick up the verse in James as we close with this. The, the passage of it. Indeed, you should, if you keep the royal law. Now, all of you have heard the golden rule. Now, actually, the words golden rule are not in the scriptures. Uh, do unto others. But the words are do unto others you do unto you. But the royal law is prescribed here. This is the precept that is prescribed. What does it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's part of what we also know as the Shema. The, and also known as the great commandment. Jesus was asked, what's the most important precept and question and teaching of all? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. This is really, I think, a short version of that whole thing. Rather than putting all the words in there, you know, somebody would say, you know, you got to love your neighbors yourself, meaning that, you know, if you love God, then you're going to love your neighbor. But if you show favoritism, what does it say? You commit sin. That's pretty strong words there. And you are convicted by the law as transgressors. So when we are prejudiced, when we show partiality, when we don't treat people the way that we should, then we are sinning. We're sinning against that person, but we're also sinning against God who created them and who said, take care of this one of my creations here. Don't abuse them. Don't push them off. I love them. Jesus said, I died for them. Treat them equally and fair. And then James 2.18, further down that same chapter, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Of course, he goes on to later say, you know, faith without works is dead. Now, we're separating salvation and spiritual growth over here. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not on your works. You don't earn that. That's something you surrender. But once you are saved, and you need to get to work. That's part of the job. If you say you are a plumber, 
like Travis, but you don't plumb, are you really a plumber? You know, so like if a tree falls in the forest, nobody's there, does it make a sound? Well, sure it makes a sound. But the idea is we, we need to put our faith into practice, not just words, not just showing a big up front looking good. We need to get out there and work. Every day needs to be a work day. Now, I mentioned next Saturday is another work day. Be here to kind of put it into practice. But, and by the way, some of you, if you during, the, during the week, we have some projects if you want to work on. There's some parking lot stripes need to be repainted and uh, some things like that that you can help with. But we need to put our faith into practice because it matters. Read it with The church should be a place where everybody is somebody and Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, it should be that our church is like the one, the little boy who uh, at school invited another boy and said, hey, won't you come to church with me this Sunday? The boy said, sure. That was back in the days before, you know, they didn't have vehicles, so they were walking. And they started walking down the road and they passed up a church. the, The little new boy kind of wondered, and he kept on going. They passed another church. And a third church. And finally, he said, why are we passing up all the churches? And he said, we're going to that church over there on that hill. But it's so far away. And he says, you know, but they really love a fella over there. You see, the difference is when people feel loved, when they feel accepted, when they feel there's an openness, when they see the yes face and they get that princess kiss, you know, metaphorically speaking. But when they get that warm welcome, they get that love of Christ, it helps to break down that ice shield of defense that most people have in their life. We can melt that. We can bring about a spiritual climate change in the world by starting right here in this church with you and with me. But it's up to you to make that choice. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to encourage you to be in, evaluate yourself. Do you have a yes face? Do you have a welcoming and open heart? Even though you may not necessarily agree with another person's beliefs or the way they look, but you're willing to look past them into the heart to make them feel valuable. It starts with us Christians. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. One nation under God is up to us as Christians. We may or may not technically bring that about, but we should be doing everything we can to make the nation where we live, the city where we live, the family where we live, the job place where we live, the church where we are, the community. A place where love is made known. Where people in the community can drive by and 
see a church that appears to be welcoming. It's got welcome signs. It's got people greeting and people showing you where to go rather than just spending for yourself. Every one of us here, I want to challenge you and ask you to commit to being an authentic and genuine follower of Christ who will allow the love of God to flow through you and welcome and care and love. Maybe you want to kneel where you are. Maybe you want to come pray in the altar and commit yourself to that. There may be some of you here that you need to come and be welcomed into the family of God. You know about Christ, but you've never been saved for sure. You just know the facts. If you need to be saved, you need to come know Christ. Come down here quietly. Won't embarrass you. We'll share with you. But if you have a decision to make today, the next few seconds, make that. This is Pastor Moke again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard of the message or read of the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.